0: The Sports Career Podcast, episode 278. The benefits of learning from the best in sports and business. Hello, Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to sports business and high-performance sports. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast episode, this week's podcast special guest is Phil Greening. Phil's got a fascinating sports career journey. He is an ex-professional rugby player. He played for Wasps, Gloucester. He also represented England and also in 2001 was a British and Irish Lions player. But currently he is the men's high performance coach at US Rugby and the founder of Athletes Factory. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Phil as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Phil will share his sports career journey and explain to you the benefits of learning from the best in what you want to do and achieve. Phil, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please share to the listeners your sports career journey when it all starts.
1: Oh wow. Um well I, I was a especially to rugby, I was a late developer. I I played football. I was a football mad, which is strange coming from a Gloucester rugby nut town. So I, I didn't turn to rugby till I was 14. Um and, and then went went from there really. I, I was a little yeah, Moby, I suppose, a little little chubby, stocky kid who played in the midfield. You can knock a ball around and, and so I, I played that and then turned to rugby later on and that's where it all started and my journey sort of evolved in, in into rugby for, ever since then really
0: we'll touch on that with regards to your career in a lot more detail but you said a really key phrase late developer like i feel like we're in a society now where you have to specialize at seven till nine can we just sort of decode this a little bit because i've had other people on a podcast i'm going to bring his name up because this is his coaching philosophy uh ben gollings he said no try different sports you can learn different skills into the main sport you professionalise in, so can we touch on that, reflecting why it's important as a should we say child, because really you are developing. Like, why is it important to learn from different sports in that side of things?
1: It's actually interesting. It's something I'm quite sort of passionate about. Um, you know the way, especially sport goes, and you look at football, football's, it's, it's very much picking up kids at five and six, you know, and that's ridiculous. You know, for me, it's, and, and rugby's slightly going into that. You know, it's more of a, maybe a, a 12, 13, where they have cut off and they make decisions on players then. And that seems madness to me. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer in trying every different sort of sport you can, because it all links and it does inter- interlinks. And I'm at, you know, the 10,000 errors theory, you know, there's there's that, but there's actually 10,000 errors of, Doing different aspects of sports, that go into the one bit of sport that you will end up doing. So it's a multiple facets uh, thing that you need to do to get a, be specialised in a sport. So you look at, you know, I, I was I remember reading about, you know, um, uh, Federer and Tiger Woods. Totally different. Federer was a football player and got tennis, other sports, loads of other sports. Really late to didn't get into tennis too late. And Tiger was, you know, from day dot he was golf. And the two, you can have these two different ways to do it. And I believe that sort of federal way where you get a better skill set and coming through is so much better. And I, I always remember in my career you know, back at Was. I remember Joe Launchbury, you know, coming through. He's a big one I always re- relate to people with. He's, um, you know, Harlequins, I think, let him go and did think he'd develop. And Walsh picked him up and a couple of years later, he he plays for England. And he's a British Lion and superstar, you know, where he could have very much so in the English way it works and you know, I think there's I think I remember read once that the, you know we let go about seven thousand kids a year from academies and that's frightening stuff you know where do these kids go where do they go next who develops them who looks after them a lot of them probably end up going back to you go to uni going to jobs and that could have been joey could have went into work into a, a local rugby club you know in the darkest depths of the divisions and just played and never really made it you know and he's a he's a big example of hey we need to be better at that and so the the late developer and nurturing, you know, the kids, you know, especially because I'm in a performance environment, you know, I look at the gym and the facility I've got at home. We're really big on the kids' late, like development. So from 11 to 18, we build programs for them and we look after them. And, you know, and kids, we see kids at 14, 15, suddenly shoot up and they become proper athletes. And, and you're like, uh, they've been knocked back a few times already because people think they won't grow or develop. It's just because of the time. The environment, the coaching, everything else that goes with it—it's—it's it's a big puzzle that we need to put together, and it ain't just a—he's five foot eight now, and fourteen stone, and we'll take him, you know, because he's—he's that at thirteen. You're like, well, that's ridiculous, you know. And then I see in America here, we are late developers. All everyone's late developers here in America, really. They, uh, you know, a lot of the players we are look now, you know, we're looking at the next Olympic cycle, and we're looking at young kids. But then we say young kids, they're like twenty-two, twenty-four, twenty-five. 25 like back home, it's like. You know, that, that's ancient back home, you know, and, but here they've gone for a whole different sporting system and it might be they've played football, done basketball, whatever it is. And then now they're picking up rugby. They're totally novices know, late developers, but they're coming into the game very late, but they're fantastic at it because they've learned the skills from the other games and the athletic ability from the other sports that now is a great ingredient for rugby.
0: Just touch on that point. I want to get back to your career journey, but while we're on this topic, I think it's important. Do you think from a process standpoint, we should look at things like cycles? I'll give you an example. I was a late developer in the classroom. It was only from, I would say, 17 to 10. To, 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 to,
1: I, didn't, I didn't do it until I was 29.
0: <laughs> but, no, I say this just because... I looked at it as a five-year cycle at a certain school that then got me to Durham. If you told me that at 12, people say, have a laugh. Like, exactly. So, but is that from a coach perspective, maybe program perspective, look at things as cycles, like a business plan is a cycle. Is that the framework? Is that, is that 100%. how you would look at it?
1: Yeah, I think so. And we, you know, we, look, we look at micro cycles, macro cycles and it's building all those little bit pieces in that timeline, you know, and, it's, it's, it's super important, you know, it, the individualized program, programming, again, because not everyone fits one pigeonhole, you know, and you can't do that as a, as a coach, and you can't do it as a, you know, as an SNC coach trying to develop these individuals, you know, everyone has to have these micro cycles and go for it and put, you know, the bigger picture, yes, but we have to take these little steps towards it. And it's no different. I think, I think what you're referring to is, you know, the development of young rugby players or athletes. Um, it is about that. And, and, it, you know, the cut off point you'll get there you know later on 18 19 20 they're not fully grown really till then so you know they, i mean we were, i was talking yesterday i forgot guys, name that he's an all-black um place in the center for the all-blacks um you know snc guy I was talking about him yesterday because he was he was kicked out of academies in new zealand never really got anywhere he got brought into the sevens in new zealand didn't really you know, they thought he was skillful and were gonna make it he then went um he went from back row to center and then crusaders picked him up and developed him and the next you know Boom, he's gone to like best player. Now he's an all black and he's just gone like that. But he was 20 odd when that sort of happened, you know, where so it happens a lot. And I think, you know, my my when I say a bit of my passion is about where do these kids go? When I found out that the, these kids get let away in the, the academy, it's so, well, like, well, I know we're, we're trying to develop some in my place in, in Chester. You know, hey, can I pick up these players from say Sale or anyone else that want to come and develop? And I'll coach them in that and that. And build them up for a few years and then send them back into the system um you know and that's that's something we want to do at our place and um i think that's something that's missing really
0: is it in a way people first then results meaning from if the player doesn't make it in the team it's all about the people
1: yeah and it's it's 100 it is and you have that holistic approach you know and it's got to be you know and a lot of it reflects on the coaches as well. You know, the coaches you get and the people around you, the environment, you know, we, we work on here. You know, there's, there's of that we've sort of developed about teams. You know, there's toughness, so there's the mental aspect, the physical aspect, you know, how tough can this individual, can we create that toughness? You know, it's about efforts. You know, we work a lot on repeated high-intensity efforts or, or habits, the little efforts every day that build up to become, you know, the person or the, or the player you want to be. You know, there's um, attitude, so, you know, how your attitude is, are you always open to learning, exploring? Or Do you come every day with a you know, good attitude at work? Um, you know, the motivation, the environment, you know, the people around you, are you motivated? Is that environment motivated for you to be the best you can? Um, and then, then, you know, it's the selfless leaders. So it could be your, your captain, your leader, it could be us as coaches. Is your leader and the people you're looking up to and following selfless themselves? You know, are they doing the right things and, and doing the selfless things that put the team first? You can, is that habit that comes in? So all those little things that we build in is, is part of that journey. And I don't think you can do that when you're 14, 15. I don't think you can see that. You know, that it all comes from what's given you within the environment, really.
0: Absolutely, and we got to go back to your environment because when you just started, because I need to decode this a bit. When was that decision then when you went right? Football wasn't working, but you got into rugby and just paint that path. I know you're chuckling, <laughs> but this must well, be a I heck of a path.
1: It's funny, and it's, it's a funny story. It's going to sound uh, like, like I, I do tell, no, I don't think I've ever told this, totally. but like, the reason oh god I'm gonna have sex it's a bit of banter anyway but like you know the reason I left football was because of I'm a cheeky little beer and, and the girls from school turned up at the rugby club if I'm honest because <laughs> rugby <laughs> like the social aspect of rugby turned me to rugby so I was yeah I was on Sweden Town school books I was a uh, yeah, quite a budding footballer I suppose I was too big and chunky I suppose to ever make it but um you know, I, I play, and it's, football's very cold, right? So it's very individualised. It's, it's a bit like American football. Everyone thinks it's a team sport, but oh my God, it's so individualised. No one really cares about the people around them, really. And it, I think that's what some of the good football coaches, I, I've been lucky enough to experience like your Klopp's and the Meridios, you know, um, especially Klopp, is creating that team environment that you care about everyone else and it's not about you anymore. You know, where football is actually like that. Um, and American football here is extremely like that. It's all about stats and what I do. I don't care what you do. I do expect me. But anyway, so that, that's the joke. It's into my story. Um, but football, you know, it was, I play on Saturday. Uh, never had a, a ground or a change room. We just went to pitches and away games we played. And I got in the car with my dad and that was it. And then my, I started, play, my school was a football school, but we started a bit of rugby. All my mates I grew up with all played rugby. I was just football. And then I play, I started taking up football on a Sunday, following mates. So Sunday morning I'd then, so I'd do Saturday football. Sunday morning would be rugby, and then my dad would have to take me in the afternoon to either Swindon Town or Gloucester City, whoever I was playing for, uh, were off, like, you know, and um, and then we'd play the game, there was no clubhouse or anything, no interaction, I'd just get back in the car, my dad would take me home, and when I got to, like, 14 or 15, of course, the girls from school would be going down to the rugby club, they'd be hanging out, you know, or the dads would bring their daughters down, it was, a, it was a community, you know, and so a lot of my mates were obviously playing pool with the girls, and you might be having a little cheeky shandy or a bit of a kiss in a cuddle behind the clubhouse, you know, I'm like, well, I miss it. I, I want to go back there. So I go, dad, take me back to the rugby club. And of course, my dad was happy because he'd go and have a pint and, you know, go back at lunchtime. And, you know, so we go back and I, it was that social aspect and the people at the rugby club that made it special that I wanted to be there, not the rugby, if that makes sense. So is that part. It does, no, no, it does. Because really quickly, just you're
0: you're bringing vibes. I don't know if you've been to Sunbury, yeah, the old yeah, Sunbury, yeah, London Irish. Yeah. I started there when I was a kid playing mini rugby, so I get the vibes yeah. of that community of of what it's all about. Dads have fun yeah. in the in yeah. the bar. We're playing pool, get having yeah. a few chips on the 100%. side, and then playing rugby as well. So, yeah. so I get it. So when you say I understand, I definitely do from my childhood. And this is the days like Connor O'Shea. God, we're bringing back some old names to the past and Justin Bishop, so just carrying on this theme then, from you individually, when was the moment going, this is what I want to do as a career? Because I, I do believe decisions, you know, direct us to what we want to do, so can you, I, I know you had the social aspect to rugby, but when was like, actually playing wise, this was going to be a next dedication, so yeah.
1: I think um, it, it was never a job thought, ever, you know, I never thought I want this I and mean, of course it wasn't really, you know, it's just turning pro I suppose then, um but it was it was me breaking through to you know the English schools a year young, especially for my school because it was my school was the naughty school that if you got expelled you got sent there. So and that was my naughty school, which actually um you know rounded me quite well because I, I was with everyone if that makes sense. So um all the naughty boys in Gloucester and everyone else growing up, I, I saw sort of no more all I knew I, I was experienced in life very young sort of thing. So I then broke through into England schools. And of course, you know, I was going with, you know, I can remember, you know, Mark Denny, who I was with, you know, he's a posh kid from a very, very posh school. Fraser Waters and all these people who went to very high end schools. And I was from a, basically a ball store from Gloucester. Um, you know, mixing with them a lot and, you know, going on tour to New Zealand. And, you know, that New Zealand tour, I'll never forget the under 18s going to New Zealand. You had uh, the New Zealand team, you, know, you had Carlos Spencer, Cullen, Lomu, Trevor Leota, Anton Oliver. I mean, it was an unreal team, like unreal team, Yeah. know, and um, I think the only ones who broke through from our team, that like England team, was me, Andy Blythe got in the Premiership, Mark Denny played, Fraser, so there's only a handful of us, you know, but that New Zealand team was unreal, and they beat us 55 nil, I think it was, or 55-5 it was, but coming back from that, then I mean, Gloucester was really serious about me, and I I started then playing the Colts, I was only 17, started playing the Colts, and then I played, and then it was like, wow, this is... This is actually a cool thing. I think after that after that tour and me playing for Gloucester making my debut for Gloucester, I was like, Well, this is actually what I want to do. And it was, I mean, it was um it was such a shoot from nothing to suddenly being playing at King's own in front of the shed at like 1718. It's it's mind blowing. So it was like, Wow, this is this is special I wanna be involved in this. And that was when I really got my head around being wanted to do it. But then, then saying that, you know, going on the timeline of that, I went then from being a bit of a, when I, I had to change my way, you know, I I, I become too famous and too early and I was a superstar, you know, a, a prodigal, you know, everything was all on a pedestal for me and I was got cat for England, very young at 20, you know, so it all suddenly went a bit wrong in the wrong way because I put on weight, I didn't care really, I was just, I was a superstar, you know, I forgot to say, you know, and that then, was a, a bit of a dip in my career, but then, you know, John Mitchell and Clive Woodward and um, and Mike Teague, for instance, you know, as well as the manager at Gloucester at the time, he turned me around and suddenly then that went a different way, you know, I'll shut back up again. So it sort of went like that. I had a bit of a drop because I I, I thought I made it and I thought it was something that I wasn't. I didn't really need to work hard because I could do what I wanted to do and everyone loved me at Gloucester and I was a bit of a superstar, so. Well, you know, I was a bit of an idiot, to be fair, when I look back, you know.
0: But but that's part of learning. And, and just for any young athletes listening here. Oh, 100%. Here, just listening 100%. to this, if you don't mind me saying this question, like, how important is it to stay grounded despite being around you? There could be the media. There could be people putting on a big pedestal. I know this is easier said than done, but reflecting, how important is it to be humble?
1: You have to be. I, I think you can get carried away because, you know, you, you, learn, you learn very quickly. Um that you're soon forgotten, and also you're only as good as your next result, and and that's that starts going, then you suddenly you're forgotten again, you know. And, and I think at the time you're up in this whirlwind of of the exposure and what people tell you, you you think you are, and what people are giving you or showing you, you know, and all that stuff, and you get carried away with all that. Nothing really, and I, I've learned now, you know, my, my, I'm a totally different person mentally, spiritually, and physically from when I was back then, but also when I was. In my highlights of my career, when in my, the golden era, the Gatlin years, and then like to what I am now, I'm a totally different person. And it was interesting. I was speaking to Ben Pinkerman here because I'm, I met. He's joined us as a coaching team. So I've gone from player to in his transition, and I'm sort of mentor with him. And he's going to be an amazing coach in the future. But we were talking about, you know, do you see yourself? Like I don't see, I look at, I saw some pictures about England Ireland at the weekend and, you know, they're up on social media and all this stuff and games. And I'm, like, I'm like, just totally different person. I don't, I don't relate to that person anymore, which is really strange, you know, and it's, um, it's like a different life, Ed, totally different life.
0: Not just to say the obvious, but your whole body image is oh, yeah, different yeah, as well. Yeah, no, no, yeah, like no, no, completely. You, you, you know, with regards, you, yeah, yeah, with regards to you, with yeah. regards to being a hooker, but yeah. I, I want to dig deep off some of the elements because if you don't mind, I always think we learn from the environment and you've just played with some incredible people like, and I'm going to start with players. And then I may talk about coaches, but players wise, that one actually put on Twitter of the England Island. It was, you know, uh, Jason Leonard and Phil Vickery. May I ask what you learned from those two, you know, Jason Lennon, everybody's the highest cap prop for England, 117 caps for England. Like that is some achievement. And then you've got Phil Vickery, a captain for England as well. Like just to paint the picture of the players you played around, like, but being in the pack, what did you learn from a practical standpoint with those two players, for example?
1: Well, is it, I mean, you learn all the time. And I think that's what. I, I have learned along the way. And I think at the time, I sort of took it for granted a little bit. So there was people at my junior club where I started, you know, Kevin Dunn, who, who played for Gloucester and Wasps. He learned, he taught me everything about being a hooker. You know, he was he was the first one. And Kev was amazing, really, because I was, you know, I was taking his position. I actually moved him away from Gloucester and he went to Wasps. And then I followed him to Wasps. So I sort of, I, I tracked him down wherever he went. But I, I was a threat to him, but I was never... Come across that way. Kev was very open and very like, "Mate, you're going to be brilliant. You need to do this. This is what I've learned. This is what I've learned from playing for Gloucester, and this is what I've done." And Kev was amazing as a as a mentor for me. And it's like my my Teague, you know. So, everyone who I've gone along the way, I appreciate now so much more what they've taught me. At the time, I didn't. I was very young, you know, and you like that. And I think as a young player, you've got to sit back and and just take every bit of information you can from everyone. And I was just very lucky that I had someone like Kev who we weren't, weren't bothered that I was going to take his shirt, you know? And yeah, you know, and then you talk about Jason. I'll never forget my debut for Gloucester against uh, Harlequins against Brian Moore. It was Brian Moore's last game. So me, me and Brian's actually come really close because of this, I think, over the years. And um, it was his last game, my first game for Gloucester, and I took one against the head. Um, I mean, we had a fight the first scrum, and, and that was more Mike Teague's fault because Mike Teague was captain at the time. And he said to me, if you don't bang... Brian Moore, after the first game, I'm going to bang you yourself. And I'm like a 17, 18 year old kid going, well, I don't really want to fight Mike team He's <laughs> a big lump. And he's but I thought I'll have a go. And, like, you know, first game hit Moro, then just grabbed it. Everyone kicks off above me. And the shed then just went nuts, going green and green. And that was, made me. But uh, it was just because I didn't want to fight my team if I'm honest. That game, then Moro, I'll never forget him and Jason come in um, after the game, two pints. And this just went well, you know, brilliant game today, you know, welcome to the crew, sort of thing. And we had beers, and I was like, you know, my dad then gave me 50 quid, He said, I'll see you tomorrow, so i off you go, sort of thing. And, you know, me and Jason then hit off, and then I think, you know, a year or two later, I'm, I'm getting capped next to Jason, you know, and it's surreal. And Jason, from then, you know, we've always been close, because we front row, and obviously, but he... he his professionalism and his way he conducts himself around people is amazing, like just amazing. You know he's he's got a, a heart as big as an elephant, and he just he's got time for everyone. And that was always a big thing for me. But also, the attention to the detail of what he does quietly—you never know—but if you knew Jason, you were in Jason. You see his little things he does. Actually, the, the attention to the detail to master his craft was unbelievable. And the robustness of him, the way he trained and looked after himself. But he also was so sociable. You know, he's that guy that everyone wants to have a pint with and he loved to have a pint. So, yeah, I can remember, you know, being took away on a Thursday night with the England. When I first got into the England team, that was with Will Carling and all them lot. When I was just getting into the training camp, but it didn't want to yet. And they'd take me for a beer on a Thursday night sort of thing, you know? And that was Jace. But then Friday, he'd be fresh as a daisy and he'd do his thing. So all over the time, you know, technically, I learned from him. Mental, I learned from resilience. I learned from him. Like, everything, you know? And then, you know, Vicks. I grew up with Vicks. Vix. he started his career with me as a, as a schoolboy in, in for England. So it was me, Trevor Woodman, and Phil Vickery. So we were the England front row, the England schools front row. Um, and, you know, Phil... I got him. I persuaded him to come to Gloucester with me because I was already broke through by then. I got him to come. He didn't really make it. At One time he was going to quit. You know, he, he's done. And I persuaded him to come and move back up. He missed Cornwall, missed his family and farm. And uh, he actually lived with my mum and dad. I moved out, and he moved in with my mum and dad. And they, you know, they housed him and looked after him. And then he persevered, and felt broke through. But he would have went back to the farm and never have played if we did all persuade him to do, have a crack. Same with Trevor Woodman. Exactly the same. They both lived in my mum and dad's, and you know, my mum my was a farmer and butcher, you see. So, um, I remember going back, you know, when I was a wasp off and he was still delivering meat to Phil's house for nothing. You know, I'm like, he's minted, he's pay- <laughs> he's, he's one of the highest paid. Why are you still giving him meat? He's like, oh, I was feeling it, like, Jesus. So, like, that you know, my family, my mum and dad looked after them too, like, amazingly. And Phil broke through and Phil was just again just like me and him learnt off Jace and then Phil just become a carbon copy of Jace, really. And you know, you've got to take the lessons from not only the people around you, but you know, the people you play with, they just just keep an open mind to what they do. And I've always been a big believer. I remember Mike T telling me, you know, if you want to be a Champion, you got MLA champions, you know. So he was always like, You need to do this, you need to follow this guy, you need to, you know, look what he does. And I think that's always been a message. And I, I say, next to the boys here now, you know, some of the young kids we've got here now, what What are the best players in the world doing? What are they do? I say to my son, you know, he's a you know, he loves Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's like, Well, it couldn't be any better because, like, I go, Well, Cristiano Ronaldo don't drink sugary drinks and he don't do this. And look at what he does. And so he, my son's all over it now, but that, you know, so they're. You, you've got to look at and emulate the, the winners to become a winner. I think that's a big thing.
0: Just on that point, I want to bring in this aspect because being a British and Irish line is always significant when I watch documentaries. I'd love to hear your thoughts of how you got in it, 2001 because before this call, I was looking at the list of players and I'm like, and O'Gara, Johnny Wilkinson, <laughs> captain was Martin Johnson, you know, just the list goes on and on. And I'm going, wow! What just a room in that change room where you yeah, can learn from, yeah. it. and they can learn from you, by the way. Don't think it's but I'm really curious of what you learned the most from that tour. Bearing in mind, this was sort of two years before winning the World Cup, so really that you know, sorry, another one. Uh, They'll just so Will Greenwood was another player in the centres. This list goes on, everybody. So I'm just curious of what you learned from that experience, and why is it so special? This British and Irish Lions aspect of the
1: game everyone talks about in the cliche is to bring together the, the the people you fight you know, for, for three four years against the six nations you know you you, you become enemies and then you become in one room together and you have to bond and it's the it, 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 special people that um that bring all that together you know the coaches and, and the people in that group that the environment that make it special and get you to bond is is is, is Priceless, you know, and the, the, the history, I think, of the Lions and becoming Lion because for us um, back home, a rugby player, it's, it's equivalent to the Olympics here. So here in the States, the, they, they idolise Olympics. You know, we've got players, you, when you drive into their town, town, it's got home of the Olympian, you know, so-and-so. It, it's, it's, it's like the biggest thing you can ever do. And the British Lions is that for us, you know, for, for a British rugby player, playing for the Lions only happens every four years. It's summer so special. You go down in history, there's all this history and the people who've walked before you. It's just the most specialist thing um, you, you can ever do. So, that in itself lends to you buying into this badge and culture and the name of it and the history of it. And then to, to be around, like I said, people you Yes, you you, you you fight with them on the pitch, competing against them all the time, but you know you respect them because you you, you get that from when you play against and You're like, wow, he's a tough player. Or, he's an amazing player. You know, like Brian O'Driscoll. I see Brian now on the circuit, the sevens. You know, I see him all the time. It's like we've never left each other's company. And it's that's that special bond that you'll always get. You know, you know and it seems you get that with, you know, I get that with Ronan as well. Rog and, and, and Brian were, we're really on that tour tour, you know we got really close you know um obviously scott murray as well you know he's my roomie you know martin williams was my roomie on that tour and you know i see scott here he coaches at san diego and i've helped him a bit and um you know it's like we've never left and you 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 get that with people at wasps i get that with people at england because that's what we did but when you only go on that little trip for six weeks but you can still bump into them anywhere around the world. And it's like, you've never left them and you're your best mate still. That's something special that rugby gives you, but also the Lions gives you, because it's not a normal thing. You know, like being a wasp for 10 years and winning all the trophies I did or playing for England, but that's, you've done something very, very special together that only you two have. Um, and I get that because there's, there's a time length for that. But when you do it for the Lions for six weeks, Yet yeah, you still got that bond. That's what makes the Lions so special.
0: And just with regards to, because it's always careers related, and I think this is vital what I'm about to say, from that experience and also at the clubs you played at, how has it built your network? Authentic network whilst being a player, without realising why networking is important, but you've already suggested there that you help each other out. But like how vital is it that when you're an athlete to use building these relationships on the pitch or off the pitch is vital after your career, I just want your thoughts on that.
1: <laughs> I'll never forget. It's another thing Jason taught me. And this is where he is brilliant. Like he is network, He is unbelievable. Him and Lawrence are probably the biggest networkers I know. Um, and um, Jason always said to me, get their business card and write something personal on their business cards about that person you've met. And then email them and then use that. So it might be I met someone from Barclays, the head of Barclays. And his, he, we get talking. He tells about his his daughter's going to tennis lessons, or she's trying to be a tennis, or whatever. Write down the card, and then when you email him to try and network and connect, bring up that personal thing. Like, well, I hope your daughter's tennis lesson went really well yesterday, because that makes that human connection that makes it special. Then suddenly he's gone. Because I think as an as a athlete, especially if you've made it into an international, you, you are the person they want to meet. You're the person that they want to be like. You're the person they want to be around. So if you then take something personal from them that they've got, he remembered about my daughter or he remembered about me liking this or something. Uh, wow. And that sits about, and, I, and I'll never forget that. And that really bode well for me in my career and my transition from my injury like, to actually get a job. And that helped me immensely. You know? And Jason was you know, saying, you know, you know, text yourself when the you know go to the toilet and text yourself the details about that person Some personal that you can go back to and that well, i always learned that and then building that network you know it's not just um like you know the boys i played with that you can go and knock on their door it's it's actually businessmen i, I still now go to there's people like you know ian axe who was barclays you know he, he massive um, hedge fund and there's uh, barry lewis who's head of credit swiss who I become really good friends with when I moved to Singapore and worked for Standard Chartered Bank, you know, Mike Reese, who was my guy again, my first job, who was the the CEO of Standard Chartered Bank and Mervyn Davis, who was the chairman, you know, all these people I still can lean to and go to because of that relationship I built with them through this sort of networking and having that humble communication and, and connection, you know, a dear friend of mine who's still now heavily involved in my life, John Spence, who owns Karma Resorts? Who was a sponsor of England back in the day, and then he become followed us and sort of then sponsored the Sevens, and then when I moved to Singapore and Standard a he sponsored stuff. He's always been a part of my life, and he supports my family. And so I think as a as a player, and a, you know, if you feel fortunate to get as high as you can in your sport, you have got to leverage and understand your position in it, and how you can actually get. Um, so much benefit in relationships that will not only hold you right now, but for your career and life post rugby. And that's, I, I always speak to young players constantly. So like, Oh, we've got an event. Have we another sponsor. You will never know who you're sitting next to and who you can influence your rest of your life. Cause this, end, this shit you're doing now, it ain't going to last forever. Cause you got to do something else and you need to be have that approach. of should be always learning, always trying to, um, better yourself and think about what am I going to do when my career finishes. You know, I never did that. The only course I ever went on uh, was penicillin. You know, that was it. You know, I never only had a course of answer, was it? so I, I I come away to school with nothing, and then I picked up all my stuff at 29 when my career was over. And Craig White pushed me into SNC and, and coaching, and Mike Friday, who I work with now, pushed me into coaching. And I started picking up my education from that, and I got my degree and my diplomas. I, Constantly get, you know, got into nutrition, S&C, as well as everything else. Everything was 29 plus, And it had to be linked to what I wanted to do as a career. But I wish I'd have done that during my career and made it a lot more easier for myself.
0: Okay, we're going to touch on this really shortly with the S&C because another theme I want to talk about, I didn't realise this till writing some notes today. You've been coached by Sir Graham Henley with regards to the uh, Lions, Sir Clive Woodward for England and Warren Gatland at Was. I'm like, wow, like to... And John Mitchell. Of course, Mitchell. John Mitchell. Like, I'm yeah. just thinking,
1: not many players yeah.
0: can just be in a team environment with coaches. And I'm just putting you on the spot here with all those four coaches, how they have developed you as a coach without consciously realising this
1: when you're in that dressing room. I'm really curious. Uh, no, 100%. And I, I do reflect and think, look, I have been to go through those four, you know, the coaches, you know, and, and John Mitchell and, and Andy Robson as well. Look, it's taught me a lot. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, reflect on the story of it, Andy um, but those four were incredible and I think Clive Clive I'll go, sort of go through no Graham Henry to start with was like he, he opened my eyes to details and planning you know he was very meticulous on that and also um, had the connection human connection with the player was so important he was brilliant at that same with Blackie the, unfortunately you know, Blackie but he was a so he taught me a lot. So, again, he's another amazing person. You know, wasn't it just a coach, he was the SNC boy underneath. Because I think this is, as an SNC, I say this to people now, I say it to people, the, the, the PTs that work at my place, the connection you have with the individual is huge. You know, the SNC boy usually, uh, you know, take it here, they're the first person that that player sees in that day. So you need to have the energy and the connection with them to make that day good. And and you're going to get some of that day. If you don't do that and and have a human connection with that person, as soon as they walk through the door, you're not going to get the best out of them that day. And you're so important to us as coaches. So like if you're in the business, say, you know, you've got the manager, and the CEO, that manager doesn't have a connection. You're not going to, that CEO ain't going to benefit from that team below him because that person hasn't connected and, and, um, and, and, and had that real energy for that person to deliver their work. So they're the first person you see, they're the agony out, they're the person you have to push, they're the person that the player hates at times, And the person the person loves. And so that, that team of coaches is so special. Um, so the guys underneath was always special. So Graham was really good about that connection. Clive, I think I've reflected on Clive. I think at the time I didn't realise how brilliant he was. I think as a coach, and when I look back at this stuff and I've took stuff from him, sort of re-engineered it, or put it into my way, or or connected it to what Warren Gatland did, it's become really a powerful tool for me, but I don't think I appreciated Clive at the time. Um, and I see him when I bump into him now. You know, we, I think we've got a better bond than we ever did as a player coach. Um, the big one that sticks out for me is Gats. You know, Gatland was. He still is. You know, I could call him now and he'll do anything for me and I'll do anything for him. And his man management, the way he, um, again, bonds, it, bonds you as a... I'll, I'll run through doors. If he come and ask me run through a door now, I'll do it all day long. And I, I, I always will do. Same with Martin Johnson. So you, there's people in your life that you leaders, that you've connected with, that uh, you would do. And Lawrence as well, obviously. Um, but that's his, his man management and his attention to detail, but, but just being a bloody good human you know was was the first first thing that actually taught me to to be a good person first you know and that was was really important um he he he's understanding and how to look after players when to put an arm around them when to push them when to let them off um and he is also the first person that made me understand about management and leadership so he he sort of said like you know um yeah, he'd always trust Craig White so he put all his trust into Craig White and he was he still is a massive influence on in my life as well um, so very lucky to have Craig and Paul Strigan the two best SNC probably in the world um, he he would go well, if Craig says we're not training today or you're not training I'll trust Craig he never he wasn't a coach that went well I want him on a pitch well, I want to do this okay fine I'll trust it and he, he, he showed me about when you create a team um, of coaches or, or any sort of team you have to have trust and if you trust that guy to deliver his role and you trust him and you believe in him then you'll take that information and and use it you know where a lot of coaches won't they'll battle with the snc or they'll battle with the assistant coach because it's their way but Gats was always well i've hired you and interestingly when i left mervyn davis at stanchard bank he said to me one thing phil i'll I'll give you um so to have is if you want to create a team, a giant team or a giant company, you've got to hire giants. Don't ever think you could do everything because you'll you just fail. So you know don't don't think um, you can be an accountant. Don't think you can be a marketer. You know, go hire the best and you'll become the best. Let them do their stuff. Trust them. Now I reflected about it. Well, that's Gats. That's what Gats did. He went and got Sean Edwards. He went and got Craig White. He went and got Paul Stridgen. You know he got all these people, and he just let them go. And Gats didn't do much. It really, and they created leaders within that so the players were leaders, you know. We'd run everything, and he'd just be there and just oversee it, and make sure everything's all right. And then he just connected everything together, and that was the I think as a coach and the influence now. And, and in business, I mean, I've done that at Athlete Factory exactly the same. I've hired Ryan Gibney, who worked under Craig. Um, he's world renowned, I mean, he's ridiculous, you yeah? know. And he runs everything, I, I don't. And I got Matt Gardner, who, who's an amazing manager. I literally do nothing. I just do all the nice bits and pieces and then go, well done, that's That's it. So, and, uh, and that's been a big influence for me. So I've been ex- extremely lucky, you know, and that's um, to have these people, but it's always been, and I'll always compare Gats, you know, I, I remember having this conversation with Andy Romson when I went to the Scottish, when I worked at Scottish Rugby Union and he was there. He was um, pushy and he, he sort of twisted things and he, he he played games a lot, you know, and as a player, it piss me off you know I just want honesty I just want you to tell me if I'm shit or if I've done well or what. I just want honesty you know what's going on tell me what the crack is and Andy didn't really connect with with players like that and he played mind games and I, I'll always you know remember he, he. I'd be you know having breakfast down early only person in the whole room he'd go get his breakfast sit in the far corner I wouldn't say good morning or anything. You like, you can't even bother to say good morning for me. it's been a, it's been a big thing. I like do it now with my wife and family. If someone don't say good morning to me now after I say, oh, I, I, what's wrong? With you lot, and I start having a go, you know, because Andy's done that to me. And It's embedded you know, neurologically, scarred me, I think. Um, but uh, you yeah, know, but Gatland, on so he'd come in, sit right next to you, go, hey, you know, how's the message? You, and he'd be all over it about you and your life, you know, you as a person, and make sure you're okay. And I remember saying that to Andy, you know, when I see Scott Union come into my office and we're talking. And I was like, bloody Andy, this is the longest we've ever talked, change. I realised that, you know, but it was interesting how Andy changed massively and he reflected on how he was. And obviously I said that that had a massive impact on me and our relationship. So uh, we always battled, you know. And mainly because I we didn't connect. Where gats, oh my God, you know, I'd do anything for the bloke. I, I think anyone in that was era would, you know, because he's Gats and I think anyone he's touched on the Welsh board speaks so highly of him like at British Lions it's just how he connects with people and I think that's the biggest thing I learned from all those coaches Yeah. You know?
0: So on that note from all those experiences how has it helped you develop your coaching philosophy in regards to the sevens game but even just in you know strength and conditioning?
1: It's, it's the attention to details everything like the detail in, in what we do you know so when when you say like the sevens you know everything we do in sevens is under the microscope so much more than 15s so you have to be better at the detail you have to be better technically you're passing all the mechanics have to be on point where you put the pass because that affects how fast we can hit on and everything else we do um so there's that bit The, the tackling you know the foot placement what we do you know the acceleration after contact what we're doing to reload get back in the game all those little tiny details have to be looked at so what I pride myself especially in the, in the contact area of all that they're making us so technically and the details so uh, good that it just becomes second habit you know and, and that's a, a big thing I think I've learned that from Clive and, and Warren and Graham Graham is, is the detail stuff and, and, and John Mitchell as well um and so for the sevens it's perfect for me because I've took that from them that's never a habit of me that the details matter, the devil's in the detail and the details are everything. Um, and you've got to build habits and foundations. Um, you know, it makes me laugh being in performance Well, everyone loves the old 2% my or the 1% gains and all that. It's no point having that, you haven't got a foundation. It's all about having the cherry and all looking to get that cherry. But if you haven't got a cake, What's the point in having the 1%, you know? And it's about creating big rocks and big habits. I call them big rocks. So like, if you're looking to do that 1% gain all the time, but the 99% of the time it's poor, then your cake ain't going to work. You know, you, the sprinkles of the cherry on top and the beautiful bit on and the candles ain't going to be worth nothing if your cake's poorly made, you know? And I think, so the big rocks for me is, that, you know, the robust training program in place, the preparing well, covering well, hydrating well, healthy diet, you know, make sure that's in place, sleeping, all, if those things aren't right, then don't no matter what you're doing, if your program, it ain't going to work. There's no cherry, it's impossible. So why are you looking for 1% gain? And there's no cherry, as you said.
0: <laughs> I love that. Sorry, can we touch on foundation a bit more? Really quick, I've read, I've read Clive's book, Winning, both of them. And I know two things. I sent it to my first ever audio message to you. He looked at the attention to detail right, to this part when Jason Robinson, he said most of the time he was getting tackled by a shirt. And these are the yeah, days, of yeah, the old-fashioned yeah, yeah, cotton yeah. traded shirts. So what happened? He spoke to a company that did slim fit shirts and England were the first team to have this slim fit.
1: So you couldn't grab shirt. I remember one time we were going to the whole, uh, the hood, we were doing everything. We looked at having a hood. Wow! Like having a, a morph suit. Yeah, you know, but with a like it's proper all over. We looked at the whole of that, and that that's fascinating for me. Like Clive was brilliant at that, absolutely brilliant. And trying to find anything. And don't get me wrong. I mean, he come with a thousand different ideas. And if you could have sold, if you could have sold, if you had a business and you were like, I don't know, domestos, right? So you drink bleach, you'll be the you'll win a world cup if you could sell Clive that he'd get it in and try it he would try anything we would have a thousand different things that didn't you're like Clive wow mate but every now and again there'll be some approach for us that you're like wow and i've took that from him you know and you but you have to have a a foundation and he had that in your gats and craig white definitely you you Gat's thing was always about us being the most fittest and most powerful team in rugby. You know that's that's the foundation of it, and you know the the the, the everything on top, how we played, our skills, our defence was everything was underpinned was the foundation of being fit, and our, that is a massive message. And you know, unfortunately, our sport, unless you're fit and robust, you ain't going to win anything. You can't compete. You know, tactically, tactically and skill wise, you can be on level par. But if you can't repeatedly do what you need to do or, or, or defend for as long as you can or attack and keep the ball or work rate right as long as you have double efforts, get off the floor, if you can't match that other team or outdo them, you ain't going to win. And that's where you see teams falling away at 60 minutes and 70 minutes, you know. It's, um, and we pride ourselves at Was that we could stay in the arm wrestle and then finish people off in the last 20 minutes. And that was all built around our foundation of having good work ethic. Work ethic, but also habits.
0: Just touch about the foundation. I'm going to bring, bring in Clive in because there's one thing he had in. And it's all, look, this is all free, he meaning by the book. But he apparently, every player who played for England had this sort of document pack of like his basically foundation of being part of this team and explained his definition of winning. And he broke it down of how the team performed off the pitch with the suits and ties on it with regards to every element of the forward pack, the backs. Um, you sort of said, if I'm correct, God, you're testing me now. Scoring tries, not thinking about the sc- uh, scoreboard, was more important with regards to winning than just the end results. If you have a crowd that's excited scoring a load of tries, the result will happen in the end game. But it was all in this document. Going back to that from a foundation found point, how big was that? So, from a player perspective, you turn up and you know what the standard is before you actually
1: train? Oh, it is huge. You know, and I think, you know, what we, we implement here, you know, it's like, these are the standards, lads. You, you, you can't hit that. You, no point you, but you're not even training with us because you're no good to us. You know, so it's the basics and the, the, the underpinning foundation. And, you know, Clive Clive got a lot of that from people like Bill Walsh, you know, the, the San Francisco coach, you know, who's, who like, you know, if you do your job, the school will look after, its, the school board will look after itself. And that was always, always a big thing. If we do what we need to do and we execute as best as we need to do, then the scoreboard will always look after itself. Don't chase the scoreboard, you know, and don't keep looking at the scoreboard. Just do your job. And I think that's why he was so good at uh, the details of it. And also he created an environment, which again, really learned from from him, is that he gave players no excuse. So he gave them the best food, the hotels, whatever was needed for that player, just to concentrate on those tiny details to make everything fit into the puzzle to win us a game. That's all he wanted you to concentrate on. So he took away everything, everything, anything externally from that, he looked after and he made sure you had the best. So you couldn't come back saying, well, because we did training or our rubbish, or I've not been sleeping well. Or, he was like, well, I'll get you a bed. I'll get you a new mattress, I'll get you this. you know. So you don't have to worry about that. You just worry about your bloody job and do what you need to do. Um, and he was brilliant in creating that environment for that. And, uh, yeah, I do learn a lot from Clyde from that.
0: So just moving on now, I want to bring in the Athlete Factory because I can see this is your new project, or not project, but your new passion now moving forward. Like, could you just talk about that and what's the vision behind
1: it? I sort of fell, fell into it in a way. So, uh, you know, when, when I obviously started doing my SNC degree and nutrition and got into that, and it was mainly because when I, you know, I had an interest in, you know, and when I was at working at Scottish Rugby Union, um, yeah. I had to do pretty much everything, you know, so I had to have a little bit of peace. So Craig White mentored me and helped me, because obviously he was the first person I rang and, and to help me on that, and it sort of went into that. And then me and Craig, I, I went, interestingly, I went around the world pretty much um, and paid my way to go with Craig to do, you know, um, and, and I looked at other sports and went into at different environments. Craig was already doing that, and I sort of emanated him um, and went to... You know, Sydney Roosters and went to AFL teams, Sydney Swans. I went to uh, San Francisco um, 49ers. Um, so all, the, all these places I went to, went to Liverpool and everything. And it just opened up my eyes to the environment. And one of the places I, I've come to was here in the States. It's called Exos. And uh, Mark Wittsberg, who started Exos, amazing training facility where pretty much all the NFL boys go before the draft and they learn. And But Mark created it in a way that... Um, you know joe public can also train there and you know the, the, the same philosophy basically what you use for an elite athlete can transfer into normal athlete because uh, normal people because it's just the education the coaching and the facility that makes the difference and why can't people train like this you know it's the human body's the human body and that i was like and i was just thought well, there's nothing like that in england there's there's just the standard gyms and the only good gyms you you, I've I've never been to I've never been a member of gym really um you know but they're all token gyms in a way they're not a performance gym and they're not like you know the, the gym we created at Wasp or you know England had or or I've seen in other major sports and why can't people have? environments like that so Craig was like well let's start why don't you start something and I was like well, I'll start a business then. and so uh, me being me just chucked everything into it and Craig helped develop it and the philosophy of it and Craig still you know helps me with it now but he he sort of grew the idea with me and then Ryan Gibney who was mentoring under Craig who worked to Georgia for two World Cups and Wales and Warren Awards you know he then come aboard and I think when we had a bump in professional sport things change up top and you get kicked out and that's pro sport and ryan had the same uh and he was sick and tired of that and we decided to do the business and i went right me being me all in sold the house put all my funds and everything i got into building the business and building the facility which i now understand is an easier way to do it um but literally chucked it all in built from scratch we built a facility from a a wasteland you know i wanted to emulate exos and bring the elite Performance and coaching and mindset to everyone. And that's how it sort of started. And um, it's sharing that knowledge of league sport of what we, who we've worked with over you know, hundreds of years, really combined between me, Craig, and Ryan, and everyone else, and Ollie Jenner, who is a British um, triathlete who works with us, all that experience to, to the general public. Because it is the human body only trains in one way. So it's the coaching the programming uh, and the equipment that makes the biggest difference and that's what where we are now with it um, and now we have you know i've got um we've got these sort of three bits of the app uh, so it's train build and learn so obviously training so you can come and train at our facilities using our app and our programming and that's where we're different we offer people we treat people like a professional athlete so if you're uh you come and join us you'll have a, a full screening um done to all movement screens so we can see, you know, if you're if your range of your shoulders poor, then obviously we, we shouldn't be prescribing you overhead press because it's going to damage your shoulders. So we have to fix that first. So no different to what we do with a player. So that member will get that. They'll then get a program built on our training app that tracks everything, you know, it's linked to my fitness pal and Fitbit and all that sort of stuff. So we have everything on there so we can track that member and their journey. Um, so again, like we do with a player no different you no know, we we use the app here in the states my app you know so um the member gets that and then you know they got an environment and uh, no, everyone's there to train no one's there to sit on a bike and watch tv or look in mirrors or do instagram pics you know it's just everyone's in there's a flow to the place um into training the race so they're, they're looked after like an elite athlete even when they're a, a mum who wants to lose weight you know, after giving birth, or um, you know, someone who plays five side football on a Wednesday night, just you know, forty five, and just wants to lose a bit of weight and get keep fit. You know, and that's it. Doesn't matter what you are, we can build that for you, but we treat you like an elite athlete, and that's that's the sort of difference. So that's the training side, the building side. We're very fortunate to uh, I teamed up with um, again through connections and and a and belief. You know, in our philosophy that. It's a manufacturer who, a global distributor, so they built our, our, our equipment. So I was very lucky enough to, you know, when I went to the Denver Broncos or to UCLA, i take pictures of their gyms and their equipments and i go, like, can we build this? And actually if me and Ryan, we want to put some pegs here so we can do more bands and put some bands on it and, you know, we can do more time and attention. And can you move this so it moves sweeter? And So the, the, the factory, we build it from a factory. So I literally you now just draws. I come up with ideas all the time or I see it and I sense stuff to hurry and he's like oh, okay and he'll make another attachment for me because we're trying to make the, the the equipment there that once you're in it you don't need to move and you've got everything you need you know and it's emulating the very much the, the performance centers and the the college gyms that you see here in in the states there's nothing like it in, in the uk so we're sort of emulating that um so we build our own equipment for various So people like we, we we're building um wiggins creating a new gym now. So we're building all their gear for that. And I'm designing it for them. We're helping them with all the bits and pieces, you know, cause we can build anything. So we're building for other people, creating kit for other people, as well as, you know, expanding our own uh, facilities. We're opening one in Manchester, you know, we're doing a Kenilworth rugby club. We're teaming up with them to put a site on a new site. So um, that's exciting. And then learning. So there's coach education, both PT that we're, we're going to start our own sports academy. Uh, actually do a BTEC course at the facility in chester so which is it goes back to your first question about youth and development you know i want to take those outcasts from sales academy or wherever and i'm gonna we're gonna coach them on site put them through there, there, and be another academy to then supplement the academy to push back into sale or other clubs so we're creating that along with having a BTEC course in uh, sports science at, che- at, at my facility so that's um that's part of the learning so that's the learn part and then we've got the, the, the PT courses we run so it's train build and learn is the, is the three bits of the of the business really and um that that's really exciting and, and mental really and I'm very lucky to again I've created a team that um because I'm rubbish at it I'm rubbish at business I, I am rubbish at business but I'm quite good at the connecting I'm good at the creativity side part of it and the performance side of it so the gym floor is sort of my bit the office is Matts and Harry. I've created a team. Again, if you go back to what Warren taught me and Mervin Davis at the bank, I've just gone and got the best people involved to go and run with it. And I just do the nice things and use my influence as much as I can to make the business work. But they do all the nitty gritty and make the business work, if that makes sense.
0: Well, I've got a big smile. I love how this whole conversation is circulated to the first point of like player development. Look, what a conversation. Um, I feel like we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspiration one. And You've provided bags of examples, bags of like your experiences, which I'm super grateful that you shared. But what three qualities would you give to the listener who really want to pursue a career in this sports industry, you know, specifically? Like you've talked about stuff of how things are in, in, in the sports world already. But if you had to sum it up, like what would be your th- three qualities you would share with them so they can put it into practice with regards to their development?
1: Mate, learn. Go and learn. You know, go learn off the best. You know, that's you know, I I, I you know I've got relationships now with some of the people I know. so to Craig White. So he was my biggest mentor. So go go and follow these people. If you if you're I'm not very into social media, but if you're in social media then follow the good people, go follow the, the best people out there, you know, and um, go go look for for the, the people who've done something, not people who've done something on social media, someone who's done and won something, who's got credit behind them. So I went in, you know, so I followed Bill Craig White. Um, I went and saw Dan Baker, who's a world-renowned strength conditioning guy. You know, um, obviously Brian's helped me a have a lot. Um, Tim Gabbit, he, he is an unbelievable human, and he's an unbelievable practitioner. Yeah, go and learn off these people. I learn. I follow Tim now. You know, I'm on a. Um, he writes loads of papers, and I, I I get that all the time. Some of the papers he he you know puts out there on the research he does. I learn a lot of him. Um, there's Alison McCall on team building and culture. You know, I love how he's a top bloke. We we touch base here loads of times. So I think he's he's doing some some talks in, in the UK in April. I think and he's going to come to my place and we'll catch up. And you know, so go learn off these people, build connections with these people, and that's the biggest thing. Be open to learning because you never know the things that come back. You know, there's there's things like I went to um, judo just to have a look and everyone is quite funny, because everyone looks at wrestling and how it can relate to contact it's so different there's bits but there's not a lot that relates to rugby so people do confuse that a bit but i went to judo and there's one bit that i watched um and the, the, they were doing throws pressing these throws and the, the the guys were sharing numbers and i was like what's that i don't get that what are they doing and they're going one, three. And I said, to the coach. He said, oh, well, what we do here, we don't, it's not just me telling them externally. They're feeling what a good throw looks like. So they'll say one was good, two's average, three's rubbish. And they're learning as they do it. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, if you think about when you tackle someone, for instance, you know and feel what that tackle feels like. You know, as a player, if that's good, what you've done is feels good. You know, it's wrong, you know, so, actually, then repeating it in their brain, they start neurologically filling in those gaps and, and they can feel it. So, I took that as a summit from Judah, randomly caught up a session here at the center where they were training. You know, I just want I can come out and look. And so, always explore. And so, learning is a big one, absolutely. Uh, you know, the other one would be probably, you know, be humble, you know, be, be humble. Um, and I think the other one for, uh, I failed to help me massive is, is get a routine yourself and then have wellness in yourself and be comfortable within yourself to then be able to be open and be humble and go and learn. I think that's a big one. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I've got a big routine and you know, I'm well into you know, everything from, well, for instance, in the morning I, I, I'll, I'll get up, I'll do my Wim Hof breathing. Um, I'll have a coach shower and then I'll do the high five habit who Mal Robbins, who's a fantastic woman. You know, I I, I did a, a bit of a workshop with her and that was game chill. My kids do the high five habit, you know, and it's amazing how it works with the brain. So you know, go look up her and have, and have a look at that. So my routine's that, and that puts me in a good state to be open and humble and you know, I have gratitude every day. I write in my journal, what I'm thankful for. Um, all this sort of stuff I think helps you become open up to these opportunities so i believe that if you're if you feel comfortable in yourself and in your wellness you looked after your body um these opportunities and you become open and the opportunities come to you learning comes to you and i think we learn every day so you're know, learning being humble then look after yourself i think would be the three things because i think within this sport again especially in our sport and if you want to get into professional sport be it playing or it's a tough business and i think you've got to be comfortable and you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and i think the only way you do that is to understand and learn from people but also learn from yourself and be comfortable within yourself to then become comfortable being uncomfortable <laughs> if sort what makes sense.
0: absolutely look phil i didn't really want this to end but there's so much i have to re-listen to this as well with a cup of tea and hear some of the things you said but the one about the judo brilliant because it's an example of like getting that brain and body working at the same time I love that example with regards to like learning from other sports and then finally being humble was so important which we mentioned as well but look Phil how can people interact with you online where's the best place to go
1: Make Twitter obviously the the, the business. You know um, the AthleteFactory.co.uk. You know, uh, obviously, you can get me on that. But obviously, yeah, Twitter and, and Instagram a little bit. I am a little bit. I try to stay off the phone if I'm honest. But yeah, people can connect me through the business and more than anything. So the AthleteFactory.co.uk is uh, is probably the best place.
0: That is great. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat. Phil, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very
1: much. Thank you, mate. Absolute pleasure.
0: Wow, what an awesome podcast chat with Phil. I really do hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And with regards to relating to today's podcast topic, I hope you got a better understanding the benefits from learning from the best. Like, without a doubt, I know it's a phrase that's very overused, but relating to this podcast chat and relating to Phil's experience, without a doubt, the people he's been around during his days as a rugby player, with the coaches he has been coached under, and even the people he's now with with his athlete factory, as he said, through that career tip he had, hire giants for his organisation, that's the key. And I wanted you to realise this, yet you, the listener, that the people around you, the people you talk to regularly, all of this influences your decisions, your behaviours, your habits, and it's so key that if you have that right circle of influence around you, it really will influence your sports career development because the stories that Phil kindly shared, particularly with the different coaches he worked with, without a doubt you can tell Warren Gatlin had such an influence to his personality his way of thinking now as a business owner it's just amazing that when you have the right people like mentors they can change your character change your behavior for the greater good moving forward and what you want to do and what you want to achieve and then finally right at the end from a sports career development perspective I want to touch on one point that Phil is absolutely spot on is just being humble I think at times, and I say this to myself, that we sometimes let ego get ahead of ourselves, particularly of this fast-paced sports industry. So being humble is so important. Of course, be confident in who you want to be and what you want to do. But having that humanity and being that element of humbleness, it will support you in the long run, particularly the relationships you've built from a networking standpoint. So look... Let me know on Twitter, Ed Bowers 101, your biggest takeaway. There had to be at least one that you can apply to your sports career development and let me know on Twitter. I'd love to hear what you're going to put into practice straight after this podcast chat. But most importantly, put that one element, one learning lesson to practice now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Phil said, follow and learn from the best. Focus on those attention to details especially with your learning and have the ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable in what you do.